Hey you, I can hear you, bitch. Um. Oh, we're. What up, what up? Welcome to another fabulous episode of Two Happy Hoes. This is Rachel on the mic. You already know who this is. This is Chelsea. <laughs> okay, bitch, introduce yourself. Anyway. It me, it me. Is it me? Am I the villain? I don't think I'm the drama. <laughs> me, <laughs> says a simple intro, you. <laughs> Y'all fuckers already know who the I am. Bitch, I'm hungry, okay? Uh, same so we about to speed through this but it's totally fine okay um this episode is fire okay it's gonna be fire. yeah no it's actually really fire but before we get started i just want to subtly but not so subtly plug our hashtag wapano panel um feel free to submit your questions now the link is in our bio and or our link tree or if you go to our website and go to listen now you'll find it there too um, as we've mentioned in our previous podcast, we are having a season three finale with a panel of white people where we are going to get to ask them every single question that we've all always wanted to ask fucking the Mayo clan. Okay. We've always wanted to know like, what, why, why, yeah. Why don't you wash your body? You know, like no, historically they wash the top. They just don't wash the legs. Right. The bubonic plague would say otherwise. (laughs) Okay. And that's on what? Bubonic plague. So we're going into two better bitches. What are you mad about today, Chelsea? I think what I'm mad about is so on brand for this episode. The process of writing a dissertation is of Lucifer himself. He, Lucifer, the fallen angel, created dissertations. I'm convinced. No one, you can't nobody tell me otherwise. Wait, who's Lucifer? The devil. (laughs) Bitch, are you fucking with me? Yeah, I am this time. I am this time. Like, if any, if anybody know who Lucifer is, it's you, bitch. (laughs) Ah, Say I'm lying. Anywho. This is not about you. This is not about me. It's about the oppressive, white supremacist, patriarchal, racist, sexist, and any other ism oppression you want to put on it process known as the dissertation. It has snatched my edges. It has snatched my joy. It has snatched my peace. It has snatched my happiness. And for those of you who are like, you can do it. I know I can fucking do it. I'm brilliant. So don't even come at me with that. But it's hard and it hurts. Okay. Physically, mentally, and emotionally, it fucking hurts. Also, don't come at me with that. If it doesn't make you happy, just don't do it. Bitch, I done came too far to fucking drop out. So I have to finish. Y'all are going to call me fucking Dr. Happy Ho, okay? But 
it hurts and I don't want to do it, but I am going to do it. And it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be amazing, but I'm going to fucking whine and cry and complain about it right now. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. What are you bitter about? I I do want to say, A, I, I, I want to um, retweet. Yes, you are brilliant AF. So that's number one. Number two, she has to finish because I have a graduation party waiting for me. Mama, are you listening to this? You better you better throw a banger of a party because Rachel will be disappointed if you don't. Open bar or at least some. Oh, jungle absolutely. Juice. Okay, my my don't even have a fucking baby shower without an open bar, bitch. I just I just need to put that out there, Miss Tia. Like just okay. just so you know, like so dead ass. Know. We don't even have Christmas without an open bar, a baby shower. <laughs> Um, but it is a question. It's like, obviously you're going to do it. Obviously it's going to get done, but it's the question of why is this shit so complicated and hard? That's the real question. Shout out to my friend, Elise, cousin Elise, auntie Elise, who always, she believes that a dissertation should be a group project because when you go out into the real world, you don't work independently and autonomously. Most of the time you work in collaboration. Therefore the dissertation should be a group project. And honestly, it does make sense because like there's all these PhD students in the same field trying to get to the same, you know, accomplishment. Like, why not? Why why can't I give you chapters four, five, and six? Why? And then why? you do one, two, and three. Like what? I just just I don't want to talk about it no more, friend. What you bitter about? I am. I'm honestly not really bitter about anything really besides white people trying to use white people who do DEI work, trying to use black people to carry out their agenda. That, that is what I'm mad about. Um, I would go more in depth, but I think it would um, implicate too many things, but Y'all have probably experienced it if you're doing DEI work and um, it's just one of those things where it's like white supremacy in action, you know, like I'm like, girl, I actually do like what you said, but you went about it in a really fucking sus way. Like we could have, we could have just talked about it. Now I know the vibe. Right. So, you know, that's where I'm at. And I think the other pieces, um, the other day I was just being questioned. Like, I felt like I was being interrogated about what I was thinking about doing and implementing as some programs and trainings for my work. And it was all by white people. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, Y'all should be honored that I'm even showing up to this fake shit. Y'all should be honored that I'm even implementing this. Like I am literally using feedback that I've heard from relationships that I'm building to inform the work that I'm trying to bring in. Um, And so just all these holes that you're trying to poke and stuff. I'm like, your fear is showing and your fragility is showing and it ain't cute. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm bare about, but. I don't know why it made me think of this. It's it's also a TikTok. We have a TikTok. (laughs) 
<laughs> we are elder millennials with a TikTok addiction. Hey, but my threads on you don't need them, sis, and will pano be shout fire. out to TikTok. So I saw a TikTok the other day and it was like white people be like, you don't need a code switch. Show up as you are, be yourself, say what's on your mind. You don't want me to do that. Cause when I say bitch, fuck you, <laughs> then you're gonna be mad. <laughs> or the fuck be talking about like, huh? <laughs> Confused. Like bitch. You told me to come as I as I am, be myself. You know what? And that is like a huge thing. I forget who the fuck I was talking to about it. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, we all know white people don't want us to show up as our authentic selves. Like they am ready for it. They they've never truly wanted black people in all our human form. Like so that's that's the T right there. So like uh, I I'm sorry, but our historical legacy we can't even sit there and you know recognize that slavery happened let alone the you know fucking implications of slavery so now we're sitting here acting like oh but you can come as your authentic self bitch you don't want that you don't want that because first of all i ain't gonna fucking show up (laughs) that's the right (laughs) that's the real (laughs) that's the the real that's that's the bread and And then they'll be offended that you didn't show up don't show up then they'll be offended that you didn't show up and they'll take it as a personal attack because they'll be like well i planned all this or i made this space and i was like just for me bitch why are you obsessed (laughs) can we chill like i didn't know i was a keynote speaker like you could have told me that my my mere existence the keynote (laughs) the grand finale (laughs) like (laughs) like the fuck Oh, and you know what? The other thing that I'm a little bitter about. Speak your peace, queen. This is a little Twitter thing, but um, if anyone knows the rapper and like musical artist, no name, um, J. Cole called her out in a song before he came out with his album. Um, Cause she, just a little bit of background. She had, um, you know, started her musical career and she was saying a lot of problematic comments, just like classist things or like just really uninformed things. And, you know, the Twitter verse was like, bitch read. And so they, they, they sent her shit and she also went off and did her own self-work and reading and stuff like that. And so now she's back. And I mean, her, her thoughts and beliefs are a bit more, I would say leftist and socialist leaning now. Um, but she just recently opened like a community library. Um, it's super dope. Um, and it's not just, I think she's getting a lot of the recognition because like, you know, she's known, but it's not just her like leading this initiative and project, you know? Um, beautiful and beautiful girl. Yeah. And the internet is up in arms. (laughs) Like literally coming for her for starting a community library. Like how dare you, how dare you give back to the community? And it's not even that, like they're drawing back from like old tweets about like, so the beehive is, and I love Beyonce and I'm on her internet. Okay. But I'm just saying like the beehives out here coming for this being like, da da da, no name called out Beyonce's capitalism, da, da, da. But, you know, 
wants to sit there and say that Rihanna is one of the best singers and like really nonsensical bullshit that has nothing to do with the library. Um, And I just want to say for all you haters, like (laughs) why you hate knowledge? (laughs) Like, why do you hate, (laughs) why do you hate learning? Why do you hate like public resources? Like you're fucking weird. So, um, Literally, woman alone. Right. Like, so, you know, honestly, you would probably benefit from this community library. So I I recommend it full heartedly. And, you know, for all the stands out there, I get it. Like, I love me Beyonce and I love me Rihanna. And it literally has nothing to do with her starting a community library. So please stop. Not a thing. Please stop. Let it go, let it go. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like that's also a great segue because you know, positive news, community library. What are you happy about? I'm happy that um, tomorrow I get to go see um, folks, and I'm not happy about going to Indiana, <clears throat> but I'm <laughs> but I'm happy that I get to go see um, some former like black girlfriends that uh, 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 and what last week <laughs> ah, I'm, sick. I'm so sick you know what I am super happy that Chelsea can visit <laughs> I know she had to talk me through that but I am actually super happy that she came to visit I think honestly I missed that because we normally have oh she tripping but since we're on this new format we're just going to do our real tea segment, but no, honestly, I'm really happy that she came and like, we got to do some stuff. I got to show her this little new England area. We actually got to go to Providence as well. Um, a little new 13 colonies, little tour. Yeah. 13 colonies, little tour. And then we went to Boston as well. So Honestly, it was really dope and we we got some fire coming for you. So I know we were super secretive about this this trip. We really didn't post like anything besides like one boomerang. But even then I our faces <laughs> Yeah, it was like very missed. But um I'm super happy about that. Um and yeah. Not me trying to steal your other friend shine, but you know I'm a possessive bitch. <laughs> No, honestly, I I was sitting there and I was like, "Oh shit, she really did come to visit." Gracefully right. from your memories, I you know what? I can barely remember like my childhood, let alone yesterday. So I'm, okay, I'm yesterday okay. was closer than your childhood. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying nothing. Nothing um, retains, bitch. It's giving trauma. <laughs> <laughs> it really is it really is um but what are you happy about bitch okay I'm projecting because I'm happy that I got to come visit y'all and live my little fall projecting because it's it's a happy moment for both of us <laughs> it is. I got to come visit I got to visit a state I had never been to before which is New Hampshire New Hampshire New Hampshire, sure. New Hampshire. <laughs> Anywho, but yeah, so it was a great time. We ate good, drank good. Um, 
yeah, I, I felt at peace. You know, I feel like I just vibe as a, a unofficial thruple member of Rachel and her partner's relationship. <laughs> because honestly, if we were down for it, I feel like we would really be a good thruple. <laughs> Oh yeah. Like yeah. we would, yeah, it would yeah. be great. The conversations, the vibes. I'm, I think I'm a little too bratty for them both, but anywho. Yeah. But I think me and him would be able to, you know, collaborate to, <laughs> to meet the needs. You know? <laughs> Love that for me. Anywho, the other thing I'm happy about is that my skincare routine is really paying off because oh, I was okay I've been complimented on my skin like just three times this week alone but I was on FaceTime with my friend Brie shout out Brie um Fly Honey Oils new fitness instructor Brie um we were on FaceTime the other day and she was like your skin looks amazing like it looks like you have a filter on no, I'm I'm not gonna lie, it is glowing. Like it's just like very like I just like mom, acne wear, discoloration wear, hyperpigmentation wear, uneven texture and tone wear. Honestly, if you want to know how I get and I've made some tweaks, but we do have a reel <laughs> about our skincare routines, right? Is it real? We do, but we need to revamp that. We, we need, need to, to revamp it because I've done some things, but I have, you've heard me rant about the dissertation. So on my daily basis, I have very little joy, but (laughs) my skincare routine, doing it twice a day is one of the ways that I take care of myself every single day. I'm committed, no matter how tired, depressed, cranky, happy, frisky, whatever adjective you want to put with it I do my skincare routine and it's really paying off because honestly I was looking at myself the other day and I was like maybe it's just zoom but I remembered I remembered I took the filter off of my zoom and so it's really it's giving you know shout out to the brands the ordinary sponsor us um, honestly the CeraVe has saved my life CeraVe yes. sponsor us first saved aid beauty life. sponsor us any who like else? Honestly, I also really enjoy, uh, these are Target brands, but Bliss and Verse. Verse, Verse, yes. I've been using the Verse toner. Mm-hmm. Sponsor us. Like, for real, for real. We we got you. Just, you know, run us up, ring us up. Yes. Um, but also with that, yeah, I, I totally forgot, but it all came rushing back to me. We got some fire for y'all and it's coming. It's coming soon. It's not the finale. It's coming. It's something it's else coming. Heat. Real G's yes. move in silence like lasagna. You hear me? <laughs> okay. Okay. On that note, we, we taking a break. <laughs> what up? What up, Pose? So today on our POC business shout out, we are shouting out Po-Up Cards, owned, operated, and curated by Liz Renee in the DMV area. Poe-Up Card Game is the first black collegiate drinking card game that will give you nostalgia and make you Poe-Up. So if you want to learn more about Poe-Up, if you want to purchase, go visit them on Instagram at Poe-Up Cards, or you can go visit their website at poeupcards.com. Now let's finish up the show.
All right. Welcome back to the Real Tea segment. Um, again, this is one of our episodes where we are just highlighting the real tea. And we have a very special guest who is actually sipping their tea right now. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Oh, wait, before I do that, we are actually talking about spirituality today. <laughs> Yeah, it might be nice to like know. Like they don't see the episode title. They don't see. We don't know what the episode title is gonna be. Okay, we're gonna figure it out. Okay, you're right. You're right. All right. Well, we're talking about spirituality today, and I'm gonna let our guest introduce themselves. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having. My name is Christopher Travers. My pronouns are he, him, his. Um, I currently live in the Midwest in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I engage in a lot of work actually. Um, that's not bound by a particular role, but combination of teaching and preaching and speaking and what I like to call just curating dope spaces. Um, born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, and regardless of where I'm at, like the East Coast is still a strong part of who I am. We can tell. Is that enough? Yes. I, <laughs> but yeah. also, uh, Rachel was gagging when you said Ohio. Look, I have some questions. Like, why? You know, like, why? <laughs> that's actually, that's actually funny. I was just I was just preaching like last weekend, and I I'm in my intro. I was like, I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> um, no shade, no shade to the Midwest, but yeah, I I came for grad school. I came in 2014 to go to Ohio State, and what I will say that's really cool about Columbus is it's it has like a lot of special people, like really good people, dope people, and um, the relationships have kept me. Ministry has kept me in the Midwest. So how do you know the two happy hoes and, well, one happy ho and then the other by proxy? Yeah, yeah. So I just had the privilege of, of meeting Rachel. Um, nice to meet you again, Rachel. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I know you, Chelsea, um, from my time as a professor in higher education and just being in the field um, of higher ed. Love to see it. I'm still here. You made it out. <laughs> still connected, you know, like adjacently connected. You know what? Count your blessings, okay? <laughs> and while we're on the subject of blessings, can you talk to us a little bit? <laughs> that was such a good transition. I hate it. I hate it. Don't be Go on. <laughs> talk to us about your journey, your spiritual journey, your religious journey, how you got to where you are. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, so uh, like a lot of Black folks, you know, I grew up kind of in the church. Uh, faith, Christianity was a, a strong part of my, my upbringing. Um, and like a lot of folks my age, I was forced to go to church. Definitely wasn't something that I wanted to do growing up. But, uh, you know, we were going to get dressed up, we had to put on a suit and, and, and go into to the church. And so um probably until like you know my my toddler years all the way until like middle school that was that was the mo and when i think about my faith it was definitely something that came with a lot of rules and and a lot of restrictions and and god definitely was presented to me as like this authority right like i felt like i sort of like a parent right i wanted to, to do things in a way so that i wouldn't get in trouble or be thought of unfavorably um about high school i would say my parents stopped making us go. And like a lot of kids, I just stopped going. Once it, once, once it was no longer required, I didn't go anymore. 
and um, probably most of high school, I wasn't I wasn't going to church. And I actually got reconnected to to my faith uh, or to like an actual established church through my homeboys. So the, the homeboys that um, I sometimes would get in trouble for like being around, uh, <laughs> those were the ones that got me reconnected. I remember it was a Saturday night. We had been hanging out all weekend and I didn't drive at the time in high school. And so after we had been hanging out, I was like, yo, what are y'all doing tomorrow? And like three of my homeboys said they going to church. And I was like, really? Church. And so, <laughs> and so um, I was like, you know, I wouldn't mind checking it out. Like, like, come, come pick me up. So I went and it wasn't the church that I remembered. Like, it wasn't like, you know, you sitting in the pew having somebody talk to you for an hour and a half about heaven and hell. Like it was an open forum, some younger deacons having conversations with the, the, the young men and boys about like relationships and finances and, and religion. And I was just like, oh, this is cool. Cause I've always enjoyed classroom spaces, conversations, probably part of the reason why I ended up being a faculty member. Um, so I went back and I kept going back and it was really through those relationships that I began to see church a little differently. And I got back into the church and people started to like invest in me and cultivate different like skills in me. And so over time I realized church can be a space where I can reimagine what it looks like to be in a relationship with God. And then once I really started getting involved and I realized that I had a voice and people could respond to it and that God could use me in a way to bring other people like myself back into the church, I really started to take off. And um, probably in my late twenties, early thirties, when I got like really, really involved in ministry, I started realizing there's a space for somebody like myself, who's a little more accessible, a little more like reachable for younger adults and adolescents to be able to look to as a model of what, of what their faith can be like in their lives. And so I've sort of parked myself in this young adult college student ministry space for the last few years. Love to see it. I guess with that, I'm also wondering, I, I'm now curious, um, what it, and this, I guess, isn't a question for Chris, but I'm wondering, Chelsea, what is your religious and spiritual Ooh. journey? Yeah, so similar to Chris, I also grew up in the Christian church, Southern Baptist, like go every Sunday, sometimes twice on Sunday, depending on if it's the, the deacon anniversary, the choir anniversary, the pastor anniversary, the, the missionary board, what have you. Um, from the time I was young, um, like toddler years, same MO, like you got to dress up. Women, girls don't wear pants to church. Yep. Yep. You got to rock the pantyhose. Um, and up until like middle school, I was like, forced and required to go to church um but when I was in middle school I started doing like sports and more activities and I would be gone on the weekends and by proxy my parents would be gone on the weekends. so like we didn't go to church as much but we did still go to church um same in high school I was actually involved in FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes in high school but I come on playing sports and praising God I was not I was about to say that I really did it one because I that's just how I was raised and socialized like under the Christian faith but I also my friends were in it I wanted to be around my friends so I went I did it they were a little more involved they would go to like the summer camp and all that stuff but um college I would occasionally go to church um but as I became 
an adult. Sometimes I still don't feel like an adult, but I started to kind of like question, like not so much question my like thoughts around religion, Christianity, faith for similar reasons, like that idea that God is like this authority figure in like heaven and hell. And there are lots of things that I abide by and agree with in certain aspects of life that I that are like, I guess, forbidden in the Christian faith oftentimes that are not necessarily things that I'm against. And so I almost felt, not even almost, I felt hypocritical by saying like, okay, I am Christian, I do all this, but I don't think that any of this stuff is bad. So I kind of like, I guess straight away from the church. I also was attending like kind of like a, I don't even say like a cult-like church, but it was one of those cult-like churches where like, and Chris probably can like understand it's like one of those singles ministry churches like the the women are preparing to find their husband and the men are preparing to find their wife and I'm like I I thought we was here for church and y'all worried about all this so that also kind of like turned me away so yeah like in my mid-20s up until really probably the last like year or two I've started to kind of find my own journey with like spirituality and like where I fit faith into my life because a lot of the restrictive practices that I learned growing up about Christianity don't necessarily align with my own values. So I'm, I'm like kind of in limbo really, um, which, you know, is hard, a hard pill to swallow growing up like black Southern Baptist, like you say you don't vibe with church, like you might as well just get your bus ticket and your suitcase for hell because <laughs> they're they gonna be like you don't do what god done brought you this far <laughs> so yeah i i would say i'm like kind of in limbo with like my faith and like figuring out my own like personal spiritual journey because i definitely believe in a god a higher power but i also don't necessarily align myself with a lot of the like restrictive values of religion Christianity specifically because that's the only religion I've ever practiced you, you said something too that just like really resonated with me when, when when God was presented to me growing up it was only ever around like topics around like punishment you know or like what would God think about how I'm showing up as a bad child and being like disrespectful to my parents? God don't like ugly. You know, and, and so like, it was never like this, like God as a friend, like someone who, like a God of love or a God who's interested in like restoring me and like delivering me and being there for me. Like it was never, God was never presented in a relational way. Yeah. It was always like, authority. you don't get yourself right, right? Like this is what's in store for you. And I think- He coming that, back. Where are you going? <laughs> we got to be ready. Ready. I've been ready for 30 years. Listen, don't know where I'm going, but I'm ready. That's wild. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's interesting. And it is very different from my family. Like, I don't mm. think anybody that I know of openly in my family that shares my values, which creates like almost a silent divide between now like now when I go home and stuff because like I don't even the church that I grew up in I don't vibe with that because now that you've grown you start seeing stuff and I'm just like 
No, nah, but now I'm grown, so I'm like, I, if I don't want to go, I'm not going. <laughs> but back <laughs> back when I was younger, like, you better put that them fruit socks on it and get in this car. I think that I I want to go back to Chris's point around like God in terms of punishment, and I think like. And then I'll get into my own brief little spirituality. Yes, I was gonna. I was gonna ask you. My, my I mean, queen. yeah, because I figure we should know who's all here. You know, Perfect. we should know um, my little Catholic queen. <laughs> chill, chill. But, uh, but, and I think about, and we'll probably get into this later, because I think also just the history of Christianity, particularly like used as even um what what is the word called justification for for the slave trade right like in this idea of colonization and so it's really interesting how like still obviously not on that scale but like god is still being used in terms of like justifying like punishment or justifying like bad and all these things when you know, in juxtaposition, like a lot of people will be like, God is so forgiving. God is like, da, da, da. And I'm like, then why are you using him as a threat against me? You know? Um, but yeah, I mean, my religious spiritual journey is pretty brief. Um, but <laughs> I grew up Catholic. Um, I was baptized. So yay. Um, and what else happened? I guess I did my catechism and confirmation. And honestly, I don't remember like anything from that time in my life, like at all. So I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, but literally hearing some Bible stories, I'm like, this really happened? Like, dang, like Jesus was in this boulder, like (laughs) stuck. Like not you analyzing the stories like a no because now because in my last relationship and honestly a lot of previous relationships I've had I've been drawn to Christian people and particularly in my last relationship you know he worked at the church and so I would like drag myself to go to yo the first time she told me she was going to church I was like what the. You know, love will do things to you. I was but, about to say, name of love. Love, love will, yeah. But, you know, I was listening to the little Easter, Easter mass, whatever. And well, I guess it's not mass if it's Christian. I don't know what it is. Easter service, something. There you go. I look at that. And um, the, yeah, resurre- I was here. the resurrection service. Yes. And I was hearing all about him being resurrected. I was like, really? this this happened like I was like you know I was also starving but anyway back to <laughs> that shit was going on for like three hours I'm like okay I get it yeah Easter Jesus you rose wrong, you picked the wrong day to go to church baby girl because Easter service <laughs> you there for a good time in a long time okay? no I thought it was just gonna be like a quick little hour thing and then let me go and no, anyway man. Anyway, Easter Sunday is a production. That's okay. A production, a fashion show, and 
twas a production because I I was like, if this dude don't let me go to eat, I swear. And she's angry, okay. <laughs> but um yeah, after my confirmation, honestly, when my brother was born, so that was around when I was like six or so, like my brother was baptized and stuff like that. But honestly, we just stopped kind of going, we stopped going. We stopped going to church. My mom like like had all these crosses hanging up around the house, like beaded crosses and stuff. And like, I think at one point we had the cross of Jesus somewhere. But yeah, it was just never really pushed on me in terms of like going to church or like. And obviously, I had forgotten everything from the Bible. So like, you know, I'm just living my life. And I remember defiantly at the age of 13, you know, I'm going through all this teenage angst I go into the kitchen I was like mom I'm an atheist and she's like okay honey um (laughs) I still believe in God but uh you do you 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 know (laughs) she's like you do you (laughs) like thanks for telling me um (laughs) and you know Honestly, it's interesting because as I, I think, because as I grew up and obviously I didn't have a distinct relationship with the church or like religion in that way, like it's just never been really, yeah, a part of my life. And if anything, I've just had like a lot of spiritual or religious like violence thrown at me. Um, And so it's very hard to like feel comfortable like going to church and or like, you know, in the presence of like really religious people, like I tense up mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, and it's because of those negative experiences. And logically, I know not everyone is like that, but I think like, yeah, there's like an aversion that I have. Yeah. Um, Ooh, church hurt, religious trauma. That's a whole nother episode right there. Ooh. Look, look. That and- is literally all another episode. And you know what, despite all that, I still, I still do believe in a God. Like I believe in, uh, even if not God, I believe in like the universe. I believe in something higher than me, something bigger than me. Um, but you know, dichotomy of like heaven and hell and stuff like that. It, it ain't, it ain't saying right with me. It ain't saying right with me. I don't know what happens after. And that's okay. I feel okay about Is it. There, do, I mean, <laughs> What you gonna and do? who knows what maybe you gonna I'll do at that point <laughs> maybe i'll be on my deathbed and i'll be like you know what let me let let me what Confess. is it repent, Confess Re- repent. yeah yeah for my sins because you know catholics can do that right i will death say door. i will say the most lit part of my christian childhood was vacation bible school really vacation bible school used to slap every summer <laughs> the church van will come pick what? you up and then you would go to vacation Bible school and you'd be in your class by like age group or grade or whatever. And then you'd like, they would give you, you know, the Bible in a digestible, accessible way for like your age group. But I just, I would be with my friends and we would, you know, get to like express ourselves like through song and it was lit. It was a time. I used to hate it. Yo. I hated it. Man. I couldn't stand it. Yo. No, like, we used to have like a cookout on the last day. It was lit. Okay. Yeah, I hated it. Sounds I hate, like a little summer camp. I hate it like it having was. like I hate it like, and I don't you know no shade to the teachers at the time, but I just don't feel like 
pedagogy wasn't a thing. Clearly. They were not I think anybody was thinking Except about Ms. Joe. Ms. Joe was qualified because she was already an educator, but I feel you. <laughs> um, yeah, it just wasn't taught in a way that, you know, was accessible for me. I wouldn't check for it. I'd rather, I'd rather be hooping, if I'm being honest. I mean, that's understandable. But all my little friends was there and we used to pick out our little outfits. Like, what you worried about was cool. <laughs> Worried about oh, the wow. wrong things, okay? Let me find out y'all see the Bible, vacation Bibles. I didn't even know. I did. Y'all want to know? So off topic. We're gonna get back on it. But I got into. Was it my first? I think it was my first fist fight at vacation. In the name of Jesus, you was fighting for Jesus. Who was you fighting for? I was not fighting for Jesus. <laughs> I was just, you know, whooping behind on the church grounds. But it had to be done. <laughs> she know what she did. Yo, I also I didn't miss this. I also like most <laughs> yeah. of my like uh like early early childhood experiences. Like my grandmother um and my grandfather, like they my grandfather passed to the church in North Carolina, and we spent like our summers down there. So not only was I in church all the time, but church was like like my grandmother's house. Yeah. So when you talk when you talk about like always being in church, like we were in church like Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, like. It was literally like if you like walked from the living room to the dining room, you was in church. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that also like just made, turned me off because it was it was, it was too so bad. close. My grandma still lives on the same street as the church she goes to. Wow, that's crazy. And our uncle is the pastor. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. Who would have known a heathen like me? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Got some freaking I, in your blood, y'all. I can see it. I, <laughs> me, I'm like, y'all said I can't do what? No, I'm not with it. <laughs> I'm sick. So I guess now that you know we've covered our bases of who is in the room, uh, <laughs> I'd love to hear more about like uh how would you define spirituality and how does that maybe differ from religion in your eyes, if they are different. Yeah, I, I think of them differently. Like, I don't think of myself as super religious. I think I stopped thinking of myself as religious a few years ago. And so when I think of like religion or religiosity, I think of like the actual like customs and like practices and like shared beliefs um, mm-hmm. in connection to a higher power that a, that a collective community have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, shared traditions and whatnot. Whereas for me, spirituality, for me, it's just like the connection that I feel to a divine power to a higher power and how that connection not only informs how how I think of myself but how I also think of the world around me and so there are various ways in which I, I construct my life based on my spiritual connection to God that may or may not fit within a certain religious discipline or religious tradition right and so I think part of the switch that happened for me from like when I had to go versus like when I started to want to go on my own is thinking less of the religion of Christianity and more of like my faith and spirituality and connection to God. So when Chelsea said like, you know, um, like not going to church on a Sunday and what that might mean, like, because I'm not as invested in the practices as much as I used to when I was growing up, missing a Sunday service is not like the end all be all to my relationship with God. Particularly if like, I made sure that I had communion with God on that day. I made sure that I was talking to God on that day. I made sure that I, I was in God's word. Like those are the things that are more important to me because it, it's rooted in my connection to God. And I think sometimes I'll speak for myself. I won't put anybody on blast. I think sometimes, you know, I could be so caught up in the practices, in the customs that I miss God 
you know, and, and, and trying to like be a Christian. I completely yeah. miss God, right? Like I can think about times where I've gone to church and I ain't even had a conversation with God, but I made the church on Sunday, right? And so, um, <laughs> and so I think spirituality is just the connection point that I feel. And I don't need anybody else to have or to maintain that connection point where religion are the, the different things, the practices, beliefs, customs, traditions that we feel like one ought to do if you identify with a particular religious tradition. Yeah. I really appreciate that answer because what, at least what I'm hearing is like religion is more like obviously the practices, the collectiveness, the collective nature, but like someone could literally go to church all the time and still not be like spiritual or have that like divine connection with a higher power. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people like really struggle when the pandemic hit. And we had to go home, right? Because some of the things that we relied on in religion to help us, you know, in our faith got stripped away, right? Like, mm-hmm. so what do you do now when you can't sit in the pew and the organ ain't moving and you ain't got the praise and worship team and you ain't like, you're not doing a call and response. Like, how do you, can you still get to God? Can you still feel connected in your faith? Yeah. Um, can you still like pray and, and that be enough? Or is it about going to this place and doing these things with these people that really define what it means for you to be, however you define. Yeah. I completely agree with a lot of that. And a lot of that, I think, really kind of start started to shape my own view about like religion versus spirituality, about where I was at because of those things, because I was able to start thinking for myself about what those things meant to me and like what I had control over, whether those were my thoughts or my actions. Um, so I vibe with that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think we, you know, I don't know if we, we spend as much time investing in like an understanding around spirituality, you know, more than we do shaping folks religiously. Yeah. Right? I think I can, I can recall when I think back to my childhood and like you a little bit, Rachel, you know, I've, I don't remember a lot of it, but the things that I do remember you know, it's, it was things that we did, right? Like when you asked me to describe my faith or my journey, I, I think about things that I had to do, right? Like, but I remember like when I started praying on my own, right? And like really understanding like what it means to communicate to God. So even prayer, like from a religious standpoint, like I go into the institution and I pray, you know, we're going to scream out a bunch of scriptures and raise my, my tone a little bit, get people excited when I pray. When like the actual act of prayer in terms of how I think of it, like it ain't about like all the hoopla. It's like you just having a conversation with God, right? So like if you have one of them kind of days where it's like, nigga, let me talk to you about this real quick. Let me tell you what's going on in my life, God. Like, and, and like, that's, that's real though. You know, yeah. that's awesome because I have a relationship. Whereas like religion would say our father who art in heaven, like, and you, you just spouting off like what you were told to say, but you don't even know what any of the stuff means. Yeah. I, this reminds me, I think it was two times when we were in our masters, when we prayed, <laughs> and then Rachel's like, hello, sky daddy. <laughs> and then another time we had like a big, like midterm project for our research class. And we all went out to eat to celebrate and we're like, Ooh, let's, let's pray. And Rachel volunteered to say the prayer. 
Oh, you volunteer. I volunteer. People be asking me to say the sermon. You know, you I can't you help. Share that. You ain't share that in your spiritual journey that you've been volunteering to pray. Like you didn't. You did volunteer to pray that day. It was probably the margarita, I, but you did. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, I think I was drunk, probably, most likely. But um, that was a powerful prayer right there. Mm-hmm. Would you like to, would you like to share? Yes. Um, I actually have it quoted. Chelsea got it for me for, uh, Christmas, your birthday, or something? Yeah, it was a present, but (laughs) it was bless this mess and the fall of capitalism. Amen. (laughs) Wait, do you still have it? Yeah, I still have it. I just gotta like get frames to hang it up. But you know, iconic, iconic sermon right there. (laughs) It's not even two sentences. You know, (laughs) I say that to say that like having that relational casual piece is important especially if you are on like that spiritual journey and like not trying to bind yourself to that like customary practice piece yeah and I don't want to like be completely dismissive of yes I got you like practices because I mean it says it in the bible right yeah and so and a lot of the things that that are done at least from a Christianity standpoint Baptist Baptist standpoint where I grew up in um, it does come from the text, right? And so I think, as with a lot of things, when you're teaching somebody something new, right? Like if you're thinking about like graduate school or you know you're learning how to like play a sport or something, right? You you sort of like give them some of the basics and give them like really strong templates to work from. But the hope is that over time, like you wouldn't be so like stuck to the template. You would figure out how you can be authentic within that, right? But I think sometimes people get so stuck to like the tradition and the custom that like they don't find a, a space of like authenticity in it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And I, what's so interesting is I'm thinking now, like, it's like I'm processing like my own spirituality and stuff like that. And I know this is like selfish of me, but you know, I, when I'm in really depressed, depressive states, or like when something really hard comes up in my life, um, like I'll pray, you know, like I won't do the, our, our father that I don't even know that prayer. Okay. That's that Catholic in you sis. No. And it's so interesting because, and I'll sit there and I'll be like, you know, I'm sorry, like uh, that I only contact you when I'm <laughs> like, but <laughs> no, but I was sitting there thinking, cause I was like, oh, dang, I really, I really haven't prayed while but then I think about how much it's like that I do it in instances like that and also you know it it makes me think about if I wasn't raised Catholic or if I didn't have that practice or anything would I still do that you know like or would that be what I would be drawn to and it's very interesting because I'm not a very like you know, no one, no one meets me and they're like, that girl is a godly woman. Okay. No, one, no one meets me and says that. So <laughs> I just, you know, it's just interesting that I still am drawn to, to those practices or to that, that piece. Um, yeah. But like you referenced in that, like, you know, I, I know everybody has like their own opinion on like faith traditions and, and and all of that and I've been in many a conversation particularly as I you know I situate myself in a more 
scholarly intellectual space, you know, where folks are trying to figure out how do you make sense of the tension that exists within how you identify epistemologically, but then how you hold to your faith that can be very oppressive in a lot of ways. I get that all the time. And part of, you know, what, what's been helpful for me in my own journey is like, I feel like you were kind of like speaking to a little bit, Rachel, I don't know where I would be without my faith. Like, I don't know how I would make sense of the world around me without my faith. I don't know how I would have made it through graduate school and the many, many, many defenses that I feel like I was doing every year if I didn't have my faith, you know, relationship turmoil, if I didn't have my faith, losing my best friend in my early 20s, if I didn't have my faith, um, it's something that gives me hope, right? And it's not, I'm not sitting here telling the world that choose ye this day who you will, so I'm not, that's not my aim, you know, believe in what you want to believe in. I'm just saying for me, just to get, if, that, if I'm getting a little churchy, as for me in my house, like I don't know where else I would get hope from. And being black in a world that's riddled with white, white supremacy, I don't know how I would survive without it. And that's why I hold on to it as much as I do. And that's honestly such a great transition into our next question <laughs> about um, your opinions or thoughts around the link between Black people and Christianity versus Black people practicing something different or on a spiritual path. So you said the link? Yeah, like um, what, but from your view, like what is the link between like black people and Christianity? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think certainly like from a historical perspective, I think you kind of mentioned this early on um, in the pod, how um, white folks um, sort of like pushed Christianity onto black folks, right? And so I certainly believe that, you know, our initial orientation to Christianity from a Westernized standpoint really came from um, our initial um, transition here to, to this country and our situation that we found us, ourselves in in, in bondage. Um, I do also agree that like Black folks engaged in spiritual practices way before they got here to the United States. Like it wasn't like spirituality just hit as soon as we hit America, right? And so I think part of the the spectrum that we see um, across Black folks and how they identify in their faith and their spirituality is because of that, right? There are some Black folks who want no connection to anything that reflects whiteness or white supremacy or anything that was being used as a tool by white folks to get Black folks to be subordinate, right? And so they have a complete dismissal to any of that. And I think that, and, and, and also reaching back to some of our connection to our homeland and our home continent and figuring out what was spirituality like before we got here? So I think that's part of the reason why you see the spectrum. Um, and I also think that's part of the reason why you start to see folks who, who have been socialized within Christianity or raised um, in Christianity to struggle with it, right? To try to figure out, like, because people in the name of scripture, I mean, if you want to justify slavery, you could pluck out a couple of scriptures in the King James Version of the Bible and, and certainly justify oppression. If you want to if you want to push on patriarchy and sexism and, and homophobia, you could certainly pluck out all kinds of scriptures to do that. And so um, I think the link really was one, it being forced upon us, but also um, folks trying to make sense of like, I believe in God. I love God. I see connection point in scripture to 
um, being a black person. A lot of a lot of black folks can sort of see like us embodying like the children of Israel, right? And being in bondage for a long time, and like that's what Kendrick yeah. Lamar told us. <laughs> and so I think I think it's it's historical in a lot of ways, but I think the tension that has that continues to pop up is because as a black person, I know that there's more than what was put on me by a white man. And so I want to explore what that looks like. There are more black people in the world beyond what we see in the United States. And I want to explore what that looks like. And I think that's some of the link. I think as we continue to get more and more educated and folks have more and more access to just different ways of thinking and being and knowing, the spectrum continues to grow in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I also think about, because uh, it was a question that I was um, really trying to mull over as um, someone who's not that religious or not that spiritual. And I, I wasn't, I didn't grow up Christian. Um, and I think I even asked Chelsea this once of like, how do you reconcile, like knowing that, you know, Christianity for the most part was used as a tool to justify the enslavement of black people and yet, you know, still identify as Christian. Like, what does that, what does yeah. that look like that dissonance? And, um, yeah, I think, I think everyone probably has a different answer, but I think, um, I was talking to someone else about it as well. And they were like, well, actually, uh, Christianity was used as a tool, um, for slaves to, communicate around like how to escape how to you know revolt how to riot um yeah. together and sometimes that was the only space that they were all together to to actually do that right um and so even the power of that and i could also imagine like being colonized in that way having to adapt that new religion to honestly just have some sort of faith, some sort of hope that you're going to get out of this like shitty ass situation. Um, this violent ass oppressive situation. Um, yeah. And I think along with that, it's not like enslaved people, descendants of enslaved people, African people were obviously void of any type of spiritual practice. So it was also like Mm a intermingling of their, homeland spiritual practices with this like colonization that was like forced upon them and like finding that happy medium just to keep hope alive first and foremost and then also to you know try to get out of their situation the best the best that they could so I think about it from that standpoint and I, I don't even remember what I said to you like maybe that was like maybe two or three years ago but where I think about it now is like similar to what we've already kind of touched on, like that, where would I be, like, what would be my grounding without it? And, and this is what I have, and this is what I know and what I've come to kind of develop for myself. And so now I'm like in a place where I feel comfortable with my own yeah. journey and my own knowledge, as well as like the foundation that was like set for me when I was younger. Yeah. And, and one of the things we don't want to talk about enough is like scripture is scripture, right? And like, as with anything, like we could, we could start a book club right now. We could read the same text all together and then have a conversation and all and then each of us take something different away from the text that's yeah. born out of our positionality, that's born out of our experiences, 
that's born out of where we are in this particular moment, right? And so the truth of the matter is like, you can interpret scripture in a multitude of ways. And I think you hit on that, Rachel, in the same way that white folks might use it to, to legitimize and justify slavery. Nat Turner was reading scripture to encourage him to rebel. Like that's, that's he was leaning on the, the word of God. Like the visions that he talks about having, right? Like it was coming out of scripture. So it really just depends on like the eye that one is holding. And I think um, when you mentioned Chelsea, like there are two things, two things can be true at once. One, we've been born into and socialized into white supremacy. This is what we know. That's true. And like, and, and going through the process of unlearning some of that, right? And trying to resist it in many ways. And it's seductive. Mm-hmm. It's seductive, right? Like hegemon, hege, hegemony is, is seductive. You know, like the act of like being able to control, like have position of power, put somebody in a subordinate category, like it's seductive, right? And that's why you'll see oftentimes, particularly in like black traditional churches, while we can certainly call out racism and stand against that, like power structures still like persist around gender, mm-hmm. right? Because it's seductive. And I think that's that's something that we have to continue to con- contend with in the Christian faith with how like some of these evil forces have like flooded into our like faith practices and drive how we think of our relationship with God. And in the same way, like Chelsea said, as black folks, my my faith is all I have, right? Like, like, and if I lose that, Ooh, child. <laughs> if I wake up tomorrow without that, like, I don't know. You just gonna stay. Right, you know, like, I can't imagine a world without it. And so, I think a lot of folks like myself included are trying to do the work of re- reimagining what our faith can look like as you pull back some of these layers, unpack some of these things, interrogate some of these questions and stuff. And I'm okay being in a place where like, yo, I'm still exploring and I'm still figuring it out. I don't have like a clear cut, clean roadmap or answers to the question of how do you, rec- how do you reconcile that, Chris? I don't know how to figure it out. I am. Yeah. And I think that especially as someone who is younger in that space, like providing that space and reconciliation for other young people but also bringing that perspective to like elders or older people in the church is also like a labor <laughs> i could imagine and i think with our access and access and privilege to like being educated higher education formally educated in spaces that gives us like that piece to like go further and critically think about like some of those how why what questions versus like just being indoctrinated into this religion it's like it is what it is and leaving it up to that interpretation versus like digging a little deeper so digging a little deeper is a scary prospect i, I think like as much i'm i go at it um with older folks and I've been trying to like, you know, dial it back. Not just scrapping at the vacation Bible school. Because <laughs> um, I feel strongly about some of these positions. And I also like, I'm not saying this is Rachel's journey at all. And I'm not trying to get you back in the church. But to hear, when I, whenever I hear somebody say like, you know, I feel uncomfortable or I feel like unwelcome, like that, that, that pulls at me in a way. That's literally like why I'm still, in, I'm still engaged in ministry because 
that hurts my heart to, to for you for you and I to say Chelsea and maybe this is the same for Rachel too I don't know where I would be without my faith and then to hear a person who has grown up having a particular like faith tradition but like kind of veered away because of these traumatic experiences right like that that hurts my heart and like I do go to war with anybody who I feel like is not trying to have that kind of conversation or think of ways for us to like redress some of that so that folks don't have to have that experience for as, for as much as your faith has meant to you, like you would deny somebody the opportunity to have that just because you can't get past your trash thinking or trash behavior. Um, but one of the other things that I want to say is like, when you open up Pandora's box and you start questioning some parts of the text, that makes folks uncomfortable because if we start doing that, then what in this book, right? Can we hold on to as actual truth? Is it all up for interpretation and yeah. interrogation? And I think people get really, really uncomfortable with that. They do, because somebody with 17 baby daddies uh, shaming somebody for being a homosexual. And I'm like, which part is it? But I think that- <laughs> Which line was you reading? <laughs> but I think, uh, I definitely want to uh, say, I think, because um, if you start picking it away, right? Like to a point- I think a lot of people aren't comfortable holding multiple truths, right? Or multiple things. Um, and so, as you said, like we could all read the Bible together and still, because it is, it, it is still a work. It is still, you know, something that I'm going to read and interpret whatever I interpret. Right. Um, but for that, I think that cuts at the religious aspect, right? Because when we're thinking about the collective nature of religious practices, religious beliefs, you know, reading the Bible together. And I even think about like, you know, watching media or stuff like that, where, you know, you, you sit down and they're like, well, I have a question about this. No, no, you don't. Like we all believe what, what it says right here. This is what it means. That's what this it is says. what we're, this is what we're leaving here with that. So it's not even an open to that open thought. Um, and I definitely a personal opinion, but I feel like, um, like the Bible can be used as like a really great work to particularly draw, you know, kids and stuff to like morals, like societal morals. Right. Um, but I think we need to be honest about like, not every <laughs> single thing in there is going to like be relevant to today and, or, you know, you know, be inclusive and in all of those things. And I would also argue that the Bible is not the only way to teach, you know, children morals. Right. Um, but I think if we started viewing it as more of like a piece of work that I can go back to and examine and be like, wow, you know, this is helpful or I didn't interpret it this way and like look at it more from a, cr a critical lens, like it would pro probably be better for some folks. But I also think, as I said, then if we're starting to question that it, it you know, creates a, a ripple effect or the scared nature within the church, right? Like if one person's questioning, then what if another person questions and another person, and then it grows and it's like, then I'm losing numbers. I'm losing community. Right. 
And so this idea of like, why can't we have both, I think is the thing um, that I'm thinking about, but, and I'm also thinking um, from, you know, talking about where would I be without my faith? I think about like, what about black folks that are atheists? What about, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so and maybe you all have um, different thoughts on that, but I guess I think even within atheism, obviously like not believing in a God or a higher power, it's still that belief in something, you know, in this, because a lot of people say that spirituality and religion gives us answers or at least some comfort around what's to come. And, you know, even this idea of heaven or hell, or this idea of there is a higher power that, you know, will protect me or guide me or stuff like that. And so I'm even thinking with atheists, it's like, even though they didn't grow up with a faith, like, you know, in a traditional sense, it's, it's also this, this faith in science or this faith in, you know, like, I don't know what happens afterwards and I'm okay with that. Like, I feel comfortable with that. And so kind of that faith leading to our own comfort and what, what is unknown. That was a very long monologue. Sorry. Speak your piece queen. Yeah. Say for me, like the idea specifically, like really correlating like my faith with like hope and like, that's where the lens or space I'm coming from as far as like being a black person in the world, the United States, where I currently reside, like without that faith, like I don't feel like I have a lot of hope. Um, And so like really correlating those two things um, because of like that foundational piece is really something for me um, to like kind of reflect on and think about like my own journey. Yeah, I mean, I think it's at the core of it is belief, you know, and like, you know, as someone who is so um, entrenched within like spiritual spaces, I always try to make sure that I'm never coming across as like, whatever you believe in, like is, is less than what I believe in, because that's not at all. But I do believe like folks believe in something, right? And like faith for me, like I don't, I don't always associate like faith next to God. Like for me, God is connected to my faith, but I think folks generally have some something they believe in. Um, now, what you put in that that blank space is up to you. For me, it's God. Yeah. Dang, we getting deep. So I think we kind of touched on this, like, in some of our other dialogue. But, like, Chris, what do you think some of the, like, challenges or, or I don't even want to say flaws, but, like, some of the challenges with, Christians today um, versus like, I guess, non-Christians or people who don't practice? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, like I said, I'll speak from my experience. And I spent most of my time, you know, from an organizational standpoint within like the Black Baptist Church. So um, I want to like acknowledge that I'll be leaning on my experience in that space. Mm-hmm. And much of my understanding of my faith comes from being engaged in that space. Um, so I think I made a list because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, you know, talking too long. But I think um, some of the challenges 
uh, one, of, one of the biggest challenges is just like the, the divide that you see intergenerationally. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's, it's, you know, completely unique to this time. I think we've sort of always seen that. It's interesting, I'm teaching the class on social movements and um, spending a lot of time thinking about the civil rights movement. And when you look at like the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and some of the old older guard in the civil rights movement, which you kind of put Dr. King in, even though he was kind of young. Anything about some of the younger folks, like from SNCC, from the Student Nonviolent Coordinated Committee, they had like some very like differences ideologically, you know, like they, and, I, and so I think it's connected to like where we are today as believers, right? Like that divide is stark in terms of like how younger folks, millennials, Gen Z, think of God, think of their faith, think of spirituality in comparison to like my parents and like the baby boomer generation. And so I think one of the hardest challenges is like just being able to like hear each other. And what I've noticed is when you think about the role of power and power differential, older folks don't want to sort of like concede to younger folks, right? Like younger folks have to take on the responsibility of listening to older generation, but I don't know if it's always reciprocated where older folks do the same with younger folks. And I think one of the biggest challenges is in the world, right? You know, folks hold multiple degrees, not that that puts you in any kind of status or anything, but folks hold multiple degrees. They've been running businesses since they were in like middle school. They, you know, like they are, are leaders in the community. They're leaders in various organizations. And then you want me to come into this particular space and sit down at the kitty table and keep my mouth shut while you tell me what to do. And you tell me what it means to be a believer. And I think like folks are just not having that. And so I think the divide, the intergenerational divide is a big, big challenge. And some of the, the criticality that Rachel was getting at that we ought to bring to like scripture and to our faith, I think you find it more often. I'm not saying, I'm not generalizing it completely, but you find it more often than some of the younger generation than you do in the older generation. Um, and so there are issues around inclusivity that emerge in terms of what it means to be a part of faith, what it means to be in relationship with God. And so I noticed those, those um, differences. Um, and there's an overall lack of attention to systemic oppression, right? Like this stuff is real and it is impacting the material conditions of my life. And I'm coming into this space and you're not even going to address it, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I think that's, that's turning a lot of folks off, right? Like, I need you to help me understand how to situate myself in this world and how my faith is supposed to help me, right? Like, because when I leave this place and I walk into the, to the, to the world, this is what I'm experiencing with all of my identities, right? The intersectionality of all of my identities, I'm experiencing these things and you ain't even trying to address it. And so I think like, Part of the, the big one of the big challenges is that, you know, churches are not addressing systemic oppression and and then also like coming up with strategy to push back against systemic oppression. It's still one of the strongest life forces in the black community, um, but I don't know if we're leveraging it as much to, to call out. And we do we do a pretty good job with racism. Mm. We can like we can we can get to that. Like we can all sort of like come together and we can like we can we can we can do that but that's it like anything else beyond that like we're not having real conversations about class issues mm -mm. in the church Ooh. we're not having real conversations Ooh. about homophobia or transphobia in the church 
We're not having any kind of conversations about how a lot of churches still say, if you are a woman, you can't get up there and preach or lead. Like we're not, we're not addressing those kind of things. And so Sunday school teacher, the choir director. (laughs) I think folks are uh, growing tired of that. I think um, traditions just in general, like how, again, I'm speaking from the perspective of a black Baptist church, but like, we do a lot of things in the church in the name of tradition that really have like no real like relevance or connection to like please yes please tell my grandma i don't gotta wear no skirt (laughs) you know like we ain't gotta be in church for two hours you know like you ain't gotta sing like six songs (laughs) we may not have to always do the hymn now i believe in the hymn and like you you know when we sing certain hymns I feel more connected to my ancestors. We can sing some hymns. We ain't always got to sing the hymns, though, right? Like, the whole thing, all three verses. What, like, I just had a conversation in Bible study last night about um, we're in this, this this series on uh, come as you are. We've been like kind of playing around with that phrase in different ways. And what is like, um, how does Jesus actually want us to come? And so one of the things we talked about last night was like our clothing, right? And we all talked about growing up and what we had to wear. I don't think Jesus is that concerned with me being in a three Grandma, Grandma, are you listening? I know my grandma don't listen to this podcast and if she do, y'all need to just bury me right now. But if she Not Jesus being concerned with respectability politics. Jesus said I gotta wear pantyhose with my skirt or I'm a heathen. I don't think Jesus is concerned. I just don't. I don't know. I think he has bigger things on his plate. That's just my opinion. But don't, but you know, like depending on what household you're living in, you will not. You see, you met my grandma, Rachel. Try to tell her something. (laughs) But see, I think that's more of a like parent parental preference. You know what I'm saying? But using Jesus or using Christianity as a guise for that person to follow your authority, right? Like, because realistically, but Jesus, would, Jesus cares if you wear pantyhose. I mean, I won't say, I mean, I will agree with it being parental as them following like what's being told yeah. them at like a higher level. Because, well, so this, this is this is going back to how we think of scripture. There, there's definitely text in the Old Testament as well as some some text in some of Paul's letters. I want to say in like First Timothy that do offer like very clear instructions about what women ought to be wearing, right? About how, how men ought to conduct themselves. I remember for the longest time, I couldn't get my ears pierced. <laughs> you know, like there's, cer- there's certain, there's certain like elements and traditions that we stand firm in that, that, that do reflect, you know, you being holy and right. Holiness and righteousness is connected to how you look when you walk into the house of worship, right? And so again, these That's traditions and these customs- I said, I'm a heathen. <laughs> we hold on to like, I think in a lot of ways, folks are having more because, you know, what's happening is people, um, the curtain is being pulled back. Right. And so you look nice. You and your family always look nice. Right. And mm-hmm. you've been abusive the entire time that y'all were in a relationship. Y'all look really, really nice. But you haven't told your, your son or daughter that I love you in the longest. You look really, really nice. But your child just came out and you're threatened to like put them out of the house because they no you longer look really to. nice, but you sleeping with the choir director and you got you a wife and seven kids at home. You know, and so that's not show. me to say that, like that's that's not me judging anybody, like because we no, all no, yeah, no, I get that, but, but it's it's but a like, lot of what takes place and happens. 
it goes back to that idea of like, you know, you could go to church all you want. You can do all these things and be a hashtag good Christian, but like your actions or like things that you're doing or like, you know, that interpersonal actual relationship and following of like God or any of that is not matching up. It's not adding up. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, and I know like folks generally like we'll, we'll push back against respectability politics and, and, and rightfully so. Um, but I also like, as I continue to, to grow and mature, um, there's history and there's context behind some of the ways in which like our parents and grandparents have pushed on to us looking nice. Cause when you think about the spaces that they had to be able mm-hmm. to look nice and to be able to dress up and to be able to put on their best church was really the only place that they were allowed to do that. And so I can honor tradition and honor the history of how we got here. My challenge is, I think we could spend more time on thinking about our heart, our heart posture and actually bringing folks to Christ as opposed to what are you wearing? How are you looking when you come in here, right? Because if the church is really supposed to be a space for folks to come in, if they don't have anywhere else to go, you turn in the way the very people who could probably utilize a relationship with Christ the most. Because I also think about like, and that goes back to your space around like class and stuff like that, right? Like, what if I can't afford pantyhose? What if I can't afford, you know, like. Yo, I've never been on a choir myself, but like the the amount of money that like choir members have to spend on clothes. I mean, if you sing in like three Sundays out of a month and you got to do pink on this Sunday and you got to do like, you know, like dark colors on this particular Sunday and you got to do all white on the following Sunday. I remember this this girl I dated, like she was in the choir and every time I turn around, we had to go to the store and buy stuff because you had to wear a certain outfit to sing on the choir. See, and that's you know like, how many cars I washed and fish plates I sold to wear my choir robe back in the day? The labor. <laughs> okay. That's just I a child. Yeah, it, I was a child. <laughs> like it's it's kind of it's giving mean girls. Like we wear pink on Wednesday. Like we we don't need to do all this, okay? We I'm trying to come. I'm trying to come and feel a connection with you know community and also with God. You know, like I don't, I shouldn't have to worry uh, about like what I'm wearing. Like if I pull up, let me pull up. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to feel something. So I just, I think, feel something. Yeah, like I just. You know, it's it's interesting to me because back when and then we can move to the next question. But back when I lived in Grand Rapids, um, we we had an, a, a street in downtown called Division. And it's um, known for the houseless and like folks just without homes, like sleeping outside of, you know, the different businesses and stuff like that. But there is also like. I think a Christian church down there stationed and also a Catholic church and some other businesses that they, they would oversee and have, but in order for folks to get a warm meal or, you know, resources or things like that to, you know, sleep, basically they had to be like, I, I'm a Christian and I, you know, I follow the word of God and, Oh, you know, or I'm Catholic and ABCD things like they had to basically let Jesus in quotes into their hearts in order for them to receive a meal. And I'm just like, 
Wow. Yeah. Like, and obviously that's not every, you know, space, but I just thinking about like the idea and the harping on like dress or the harping on these really like respectable, like really classist ideals at this point when really like folks without homes, you know, they, they just want a meal. So I just, you know, I, uh, well, they probably want more than that, but I think, um, rightfully so, but I think, um, yeah, that's, that's where the thought was taking me. Um, but moving on, and I guess this kind of segues into it, but what are some ways that Christians um, can be more inclusive to people with identities that are typically excluded from uh, Christianity or the Bible? Yeah, um, which is an interesting question to, to, to think on, right? Because depending on how you think of Christianity, like it is far from inclusive, depending on how some folks think of the Christianity. Um, I think for me, part of um, my approach to my faith and how I situated my, myself in spaces where, uh, like a classroom space where I, I still wanna sort of convey the light of Christ, but I may not like talk about it explicitly, right? But then also taking all of my training into the church and not leaving that stuff at the door either. And so um, part of what I, what I do is I believe there's value in the, the Bible, the full Bible, foremost, the word of God. I also believe that Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God in flesh. So my approach to my faith is, if I was bringing it to a classroom for my graduate student folks, the gospels to me are the foundational readings right like you know when your professor is like read 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 these texts for class next week now if you want like some supplemental readings or like some additional text to engage in because you're just really excited about the topic you can read around it i think what happens sometimes though is like folks will take other aspects of the word of god particularly paul's writing which is much of the new testament beyond like the gospels um and they'll prioritize paul's writing over like Jesus writing. So this is a little bit of a long way to answer, I apologize, but I spend more time thinking about Jesus' life, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' approach, right? And that is sort of like the foundation and everything else that I engage in, I make sense of it alongside of my reading of the gospels. And so when I read the gospels, Jesus really spent most of his time in ministry engaging the folks on the fringes right? Y'all can't see me on the pod, but I'm doing air quotes, on the fringes of society. The very people that everybody at that particular time thought that he ought not be, or depending on how you think of Jesus, she ought not be engaging with, right? Like the least of these. And so like, how can you sit here and tell me that as a follower of Jesus, I'm not supposed to be a particular thing, or I'm not supposed to be engaging with a particular set of people when the very person that, in, that is the reflection of the word to me spent all of his time doing that. And so I try to like think of my faith from a space of love. And I have this uh, saying that I got from one of my mentors, shout out to the good Reverend Dr. Tanika Shepherd, 
one of my mentors, I'm okay getting to the end of this thing and, and God asking me, why did you do most of the things that you did, Chris? Like you spent time with folks who, um, whatever, like any, put, fill in the blank, whatever identity you want. The killers and the drug dealers. Whatever you want. And I, and I would say back, like I, I did my best I did my best to live true to your two primary commands, to love you with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and to love my neighbor as myself. And if I missed the mark in doing that, then like, my bad. But that was that was my interpretation of those two things. So I do not think that like your identity precludes you from being a part of the faith. I don't think your sexuality precludes you from being a part of the faith. I don't think your gender identity or gender expression precludes you from being a part of the faith. I think that like there is space in the faith that I hold for anybody, regardless of what you hold. I do think there are some non-negotiables that we could talk about, but I do not think your identities um, will, will stop you from being able to be in relationship with Christ. And even if, right, even if, even if, because I'm not God and I don't profess to be, but even if God does take issue with some of your identities, even if, like, which I don't know, but let's just say that God does. We all are carrying some stuff. It's just that some, some stuff is a little external and we can see it and we can touch it and we can experience it and other stuff that people are carrying are internal. Case in point, you spend all this time worrying about folks who identify as queer and whether or not they need to change their lifestyle to be part of the faith and you go home and do a whole bunch of stuff every single time when you buy yourself that folks would never know about. You gotta you take issue with folks who have who having kids out of wetlock or whatever, when like all of my cousins, right, were born out of wetlock. Like the pastor mm-hmm. himself has a child with a woman that he was not married. So at that particular point, it was he he's okay to still be pastoring, but this person can't come into the church. Okay, you gotta go up there and ask for forgiveness. So I, you know, and I, I'm, it's not for me to say. I think you asked the question, Rachel. So your question, Rachel, it's not for me to say. I don't even know if it was Rachel or Chelsea. It's not for me to say. It's like, both. It's the two happy hosts. <laughs> It's not for me. To, like, I don't. I think folks. It's amazing to me how folks will literally like act like they are God, right? Like, and I would never like get so caught up in myself that I would think that I know for sure all of the things that God wants out of me. What I do know for sure is Jesus said, "Love God, love your neighbor." You do those two things, you got the rest of the stuff taken care of. And so that's that's where I choose to 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 have my faith, and that's that's the advice I would give to anybody. Who's trying to like figure out how do I how do I how, how do I have a message of inclusivity? Love God, love your neighbor. Take all the things that you do and assess it along those two commands. Yeah, and just leave it at that because like not that I love you, but I don't agree with X, Y, and Z because like it's not about agreement. And that means that you like you can't you can't you know. rooted in my dehumanization. Exactly. Like that is not that's not love. Love and abuse cannot coexist. Shout out Bell Hooks. Okay. Like we can't sit there and act like, oh, I love you, but like there should be no but. Yeah. <laughs> there should be no but. You should when just I love hearing, me. like, I don't agree, I'd be like, what, what is it that you do not agree with? Like, because it's just like, what is, what is agreeing even mean, you know? And like, yo, like, yo, we, people just, you don't have a heaven or hell if you believe in it to put anybody in. Like, yeah. like you don't. You know, like you just so like all this like judgment that we have and how yeah. we categorize folks and the ways in which we describe the trajectory of folks' lives or how we try to like talk about the reason that they're struggling is because they got this alternative lifestyle. Like, 
No, no, no. Like, because folks will do that. People are struggling everywhere. It has nothing to do. I, I've met very successful gays, okay? <laughs> they, they are all over San Francisco, okay? <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is their land. So, not really, though. <laughs> like i've like i've tried to like practice and it's, it's a daily like practice um to sit with my own like patriarchy um and, and misogyny right because i'm not you know i, I it's still you're it's, not it's, perfect still affects me right oh my god of, wait we did, wait like, you're not perfect <laughs> <laughs> i'm just playing <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Sense. But yeah, part of what I try to do is like, yo, if you like, I think this is a helpful exercise for folks, especially men. Think of black folks in position to, to white, twice. And like just substitute whatever identity that we're thinking about. And if like your responses sound like white folks, if your reactions embarrassing. are similar to white folks, embarrassing. we need to think about that. Because the very thing that like you are able to like highlight and see when we think about race, you are like missing in every other situation. And so mm -hmm. that's that's another strategy that I think is is helpful, right? Like um, when we say like, no, I'm not like I'm not homophobic. I have like three gay friends. You sound like the white person who's like, how could I be racist? I have. I have a black friend. friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly one, and I touch their hair all the time. And they let me. Um, <laughs> they let me their hair. But so I, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I just had a quick question. Who's Paul? <laughs> I already found the episode. This is the title of the freaking episode. Shameless. <laughs> I just, I'm just confused. I, so I was googling the like who, Paul. Who, so I was googling who wrote the Bible. Uh, I'm like, I'm like, who? Who so the Paul, fuck is yeah, Paul? Yeah, Paul is an apostle. Uh, he actually used to like persecute Christians, right? Which he has a very interesting like backstory. Um, oh, but but is like the author of much of like the the New Testament. A lot of the letters. Think about Ephesians, Philippians. Um, you think about First Timothy, Second Timothy, First. So did he not like Jesus's chapters, and so he went back in and was like, "I'm gonna do a New Testament." No, that's not. That's I know I sound. I but no. see, people. I really have no context of the Bible. Like I'm sitting here, like, who? What is happening? Yeah. So like part of part <laughs> of Paul. You just you know do a, a cliff notes of the Bible. <laughs> Part of Paul's journey was just sort of spreading, uh, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to um, various places in the world, like particularly like the Gentiles. And so um, these churches would be formed, these communities would be formed, and then Paul would hear things about how they are living that is that would be in opposition of how they ought to live. And so Paul would write these letters to the church of like and give them like certain practices that embody what it means to be. Um, uh, a part of the body of Christ, right? Like, so imagine if like, I come to you, I give you this, um, this gospel, right? This, this, this language of like Christianity, you accept it, you believe in it. And then you go and you start your own church, right? And then mm -hmm. I catch wind that like, and you starting your church, y'all living a little crazy, right? Like I hear about it. And so 
I want to help remind you of certain things or um, address certain issues that I see popping up. And so I write a letter to you of things to remember, things to be mindful of. It's really just a letter. And so this is where folks get in trouble. They would take the letter that Paul wrote to a particular church or a particular community of people in response to some of the ways in which they were living. And they'll like generalize that to every single person who calls himself a believer in Christ. There's context that has to be considered when we read those portions of the Bible. But no, Paul's writing is, um, it's, it's a, it's a, it builds off of the, of the gospel. So it's not like an opposition of Jesus. Okay. That last question. So was he at the last supper? <laughs> no, Paul was not at the last supper. No, no, he wasn't. He's, okay. not a, not a, he's not a disciple. He wasn't like one of the disciples. No. Oh, okay. What's an apostle then? A person who is called to go uh, plant a church or start a church. Okay, kind of so like how a is a, day, a like missionary. How is an apostle different from an evangelical? Oh, uh, evangelical or somebody who engages in like evangelism? Oh, sure. So, like an evangelist, like sort of like spreads. Evangelist could be like um, if you were in college. Remember being in college and you go through campus. Oh yeah, and they would be like, like the Lord, from, like that's like people who are like spreading the gospel, right? Okay. But an apostle will go actually like start plant. Okay. Okay. Got you. Community. Bad Christian. Bad Christian. No, no, this is. Okay. Chris, I have one question before we wrap it up. (laughs) What would you want (laughs) the episode to be called? Who is Paul or (laughs) Paul said. (laughs) Yo, I mean, I'm gonna let y'all rock. Whatever, whatever you feel like is, it reflects the spirit. I think who the is Paul. I think it's like crazy like yo with the, the things that I you know was imagining you would talk about like Paul emerges out of the, the conversation like that's, that's <laughs> you gotta like, find a random picture of a white man for the look I was just trying to no you but know, there was no white people together. in the uh, there was no white people in the Bible I'm gonna be on Canva be like Paul Bible what <laughs> random <laughs> white man <laughs> okay but I guess to, you know, uh, end this, first of all, thank you for dropping some knowledge because, you know, a bitch knew nothing. (laughs) Now I know who Paul is. Um, But you're about to go downstairs and tell Kevin who Paul is. (laughs) No, I really am. So, um, Paul person, did you know about Paul? Did you know who Paul was? And Paul was out there. Watch him try and lie to my face and be like, of course I did. He probably did, though. (laughs) No, he don't. He didn't. No, he he is just as far as removed as me. I'm a Catholics, am I right? Oh yeah, <laughs> but yeah, y'all wild over here. Um, <laughs> but what are some resources or like partnerships, whether orgs or things that you know that like folks can get involved in, um, to to maybe learn more about you know religion, Christianity, and I would preface and say like not in a toxic way you know like just just be able to to get some resources or partner what i'm just so saying not, I'm so not, not the gospel of Paul. we we don't have a missionary podcast okay i just <laughs> i just these are open resources for people to use or people yeah. who are like i guess would say like struggling with their faith or like in a 
a limbo. Yeah, that, kind of like that's me. a better way. Help a, that's a better a, way to view it. Help a, a, a heathen like me. Um, but yeah, so in, in thinking about like some of the challenges uh, that I referenced and um, some of the issues we got to work on, particularly across like generations, there's a, a really dope woman, Reverend Bree Parker, who started the Black Millennial Cafe. And she offers like a ton of like resources and tools for engaging millennials. Um, it does like a ton of training and like workshops. So for the folks who might be thinking about better ways to interact with or engage millennials, Gen Z, I would offer that resource. Um, and then she she has like, you know, sermons and um, content, you know, on, on the internet that I think is also that I would engage in. Um, there's a church that I really, really enjoy. I don't, I don't go there because I don't live in the, the Northern Virginia area, but Alpha Street Baptist Church, which is in like Northern Virginia, pastored by uh, Reverend Dr. Howard John Wesley, is for the folks who are, who are Baptist, you know, and you, know, you don't have to be Baptist, but I think sometimes folks struggle trying to find like a progressive church, you know, that is also inclusive, but still like Baptist. And so I would say from my vantage point, that's a ministry that's doing a pretty good job of sitting at all of the, the intersection of all of that. And so um, they have a really, really dope ministry and they have like a special night called Kaya. And it's like, come as you are. And they'll have like engaging conversations around interesting topics. And um, Howard John Wesley also has like a Bible study that he started during the pandemic called um, You Can Push It. And he'll like address some of these like hot topic, controversial issues that folks don't want to talk about in the church. And he'll offer a scripture for how you can sort of land in various perspectives on these different topics. So I would recommend that. The Bible Project is also a really, really dope resource to help you uh, better undertake the Bible that can be very, very like complicated and dense at times and, um, you know, challenging to engage in. And the Bible Project has a ton of resources to better understand how to read the Bible, how to make sense of who Paul is. Rachel and others, how to um, understand the context behind some of the things that were written, right? The traditions, Jewish customs and Jewish cultures, because if you don't understand the context, right, you have a hard time really being able to take meaning away from the scripture. And they do it in a way that's like super dope. They draw like these little like comic illustrations. Because yes, I'm a visual learner. Yes. So like you can literally get like a breakdown of every book of the Bible, I believe, on the Bible project. So before I engage in like a Bible study series, if it's on a particular book of the Bible, I'll like consult that resource. And it's a quick like four or five minute video that breaks down all of the stuff. So the Bible project is really cool. They have a podcast too, I believe. And they also have like articles that they write. Um, one of my like sisters in ministry, um, she has been rocking with me in some of the work that I've been doing for the last year and a half. Her name's Simone. Bacon, she just started her own ministry specifically for young adults. It's called One Look Ministries. You can find her on Instagram. Um, and she has devotions that she posts. She has resources and tools that she shares with young adults. She also has like various testimonies. And she really takes um, our, our faith and our spirituality and like conveys it in a way that's like accessible, you know, and real and authentic. And so she just started about two weeks ago. I actually did like an IG live of her like two weeks ago on uh, ministry, but a really, really good ministry. And I would encourage folks to check it out. She has a ton of resources that I think you'll find value in. Um, and the last thing I'll say is I have my own Bible study. I'm not saying it's like the greatest thing ever, but um, it's called Unplugged. 
we we meet on Wednesdays at 7:30 p.m. Um, every Wednesday, and you know we don't come into the space thinking that like we're experts and supreme knowledge keepers of of God. We're, we're seriously just trying to learn and grow. And you know, folks range in age from like 20 all the way to like 33, and it's a super dope space. We've been doing it for like two years, and so um, yeah, I would encourage you to check it out. So old. Who's that? 33, so old. You know, um, speak for yourself, you know, as, <laughs> as, a, as a person who just had a birthday that is very, very I know, close. I know, I know. I'm, that's why I'm messing with you. Yo, Wait, just had a birthday. So yeah. that means, are you a Libra? I am. I am a Libra. Dang, dang, okay. And he's a Libra. He is a Libra. I mean, I see the air signs. He I, is I a Libra. I see the air sign traits. <laughs> We'll talk about that off air. Uh, what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> we'll Look. talk about that off air. I I know that question was for Chris, um, but if you are in the my area, the Raleigh Durham Triangle area, a great church I would plug is the River in Durham. Very inclusive, very open, a very young congregation ministry. I've gone a few times, so if you're in the Raleigh area, the River Durham is a great place. Uh, just one last question. Are these, or is your Bible study offered via Zoom or is it in it person? Is. It is offered via Zoom. I did not know that. I might pull up. I know. I was Three. just because I need to know who Moses is. I, I just, <laughs> all right. All right. All right. On that note, would you like to plug yourself in any other way, uh, Chris? Uh, no, I'm good. I did. Right. No. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> The classy hoes is sometimes trashy. Bye. Hey, hoes. We now have a new way for you to connect with us. Our website, www.twohappyhoes.com, is a one-stop shop to view all of our new and past content, resources, and guest info from each episode, a collection of all of our POC business shoutouts, merch, and more. Our website is the next best way to connect with us outside of social media. And do you want an all access pass to everything Two Happy O's related? I know I do. Sign up for our email subscription where we can send you our podcast snapshot filled with exclusive glimpses of all of our upcoming episodes, new content, and special announcements before anyone else. So head over to www.twohappyhose.com today to check us out and connect with us. Again, that's the number two, happyhose, H-E-A-U-X-E-S.com. We can't wait to hear from you all.